0: As we come back to Colossians, we're actually wrapping up Colossians today. Um, The last number of verses in chapter 4, you can read on your own. I'm not actually going to be preaching on that. Not that it's not important, but Paul kind of wraps up thanking all the different helpers that he has had, that the Lord has brought uh, to him, and encouraging the churches to trust them as they go with the Word of God. Um, kind of putting into practice uh, praying with watchfulness and thankfulness. So he's giving all the thanks to uh, his co-workers and what God has been doing. But let's look at Colossians again, chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. We read this passage last week, but we only got as far as the first of those verses. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, Now, when we started this series back a couple months ago uh, in Colossians, I entitled the series The Supremacy of Christ. Because Paul is laying out all through it that this is all about Christ and then what he's done for us. In chapter 1, verse 18, it tells us that every, in, in everything, Jesus has the supremacy. He created everything and He holds all things together. And He and only He has provided the means for mankind to be reconciled to God. And what He did on the cross was and still is sufficient. Then in chapter 2, verse 20, we read, In Christ you have been brought to fullness. We are now complete in Christ. He is all sufficient for us. Everything that we need, it is all found in Christ. By his death, and more importantly, his resurrection, every religious leader has died, and that's where they've stayed. Jesus Christ died and rose. He put to death that old sin-controlled nature of ours. Paul is very clear on that, very adamant about that, and then raised us with this new nature, now controlled by the Holy Spirit. Folks, that changes everything. Our lives are now transformed into lives that we are able to live in victory and in holiness. The Holy Spirit has made us holy, He has sanctified us, and therefore, we should be living like it. In chapter 3 and 4, then, Paul shares with us what a sanctified life looks like, what it looks like personally in our own lives, what, that, what the sanctification has done for us, what it looks like in our immediate relationships, in our family uh, relationships, and now in chapter 4, how that should affect our speech to those that are around us. This is all talking about the new lifestyle, the new person controlled by the Holy Spirit. And one of the most difficult areas for us to control is our speech, what comes out of our mouths. In fact, James in his letter tells us that the tongue cannot be tamed by any person. Impossible. But the Holy Spirit can do that. And that's what God expects. When we became new creatures. We saw last week that our speech should then conform to that new creation. And last week we began looking at how our, speeches ought, our speech ought to change, what sanctified speech should look like. Have you ever done a study on Jesus' mouth? Fascinating study actually. And since Jesus is to be our example in everything, his mouth ought to be an example as well for us to imitate. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 2 it says and he opened his mouth and taught them. That's a great thought, isn't it? When Jesus opened his mouth, out came instruction. In Luke 4:22 all spoke well of him, Jesus, and were amazed at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Gracious words in the Greek refers to that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, grace of speech. That's how Jesus spoke. In John 6, 63, again, in reference to the mouth of Jesus, is the words that I speak unto you. They are spirit and they are life. In 1 Peter 2, again, regarding the mouth of Jesus, he committed no sin and no deceit, was found in his mouth. What an example. What a model for us to follow. So, what should be coming out of our new mouths, which have been transformed by the Holy Spirit? Well, the first thing that we looked at last week was a speech of prayer. And I ended with giving an expanded translation of verse 2 of Colossians 4. Continue earnestly and persistently in never giving up earnest supplication prayer being vigilant in it, being wakeful with focused and specific prayer within God's will, with expectation that God is going to answer in a wonderful way, and with thanksgiving, being grateful that we have a wonderful God who can and wants to answer prayers beyond all that we can think or imagine. It's an amazing example of that. Just after we 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 talked about that and preached that last last Sunday about how our, our prayer is supposed to be expectant and and praying earnestly and expecting God to answer. I got a call Monday morning sometime, I think, from Lissa, who is here with us again. Thank you. Um, she's part of a group that, that they're working on putting together a, a, a new a school group for, for concerned parents and stuff, and, and we're, we've been talking with her, but she, she called me and said, one of the other ladies in the group, her name is Barbara, uh, really concerned. Her son is out in the uh, Glacier National Park out west. Um, he's been missing for three days. Uh, would you pray for him? And, uh, absolutely, and so, so we prayed, and she and others, obviously, were praying. Barbara headed out west, and uh, I was trying to figure out, so what happened? I haven't heard from Melissa. I was going to call her Tuesday morning, and uh, she, she texted me early Tuesday morning. and said, after four days, they found him. He's in the hospital, got some surgery to go on, some damage done to his feet and stuff. He was in bare feet. And, but, and the first thing that popped into my, my mind was expectant prayer. That's what prayer, it wasn't my prayer, it was prayer, prayer. We need to be praying expectantly, assuming God is going to answer. What a neat opportunity and what a neat example immediately after that. That's how our sanctified mouths should be, how we should pray. The second area of sanctified speech that Paul mentions is a speech of proclamation. The speech of proclamation, and we see this in verse 3 and 4, and Paul links it up with Prayer as a prayer request, as he writes. Meanwhile, in other words, while you're continuing earnestly praying vigilantly with thanksgiving, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Twice you see the word speak, once you see the word word, and once you see the word manifest, and putting it all together, that's the speech of proclamation. The Apostle Paul is saying here, Pray for me that I may open my mouth and proclaim. What makes this even more amazing, or perhaps even more significant, is a phrase at the end of verse 3 For which I am in chains. Paul, at this particular point in his life, was in prison. Why? for preaching the gospel of Christ. You can read about how that all came about in Acts chapter 21. I'll let you do that later this afternoon. And after being transferred from one prison to another prison, he finally ended up in chapter 28 in Rome. And there he was able to actually rent a home, but he was under house arrest. So guards were there on rotation 24-7. And verse 30 of that chapter, we're told, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. So that's what he's referring to here in Colossians 4, verse 3. He was in prison writing this letter. And while he was there, he also wrote to the Ephesians. He also wrote to the Philippians. He also wrote a letter to Philemon. So he got a lot of letter writing done while he was there in prison. But you know what else he was doing? He was sharing Christ. He was preaching the gospel. He was evangelizing. Look at what it says there in Acts 28, 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Well, who is he sharing Christ with? Well, there's some church people that came to to see him, no doubt, and brought people but who is there with him 24-7? It was the guards. It was the soldiers. They were, there were different ones that kept, uh, that kept coming. In Philippians 1, verse 12 and 13, writing while he was there in prison, tells them what's been going on. And Listen to this. He says, what, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result of my imprisonment, It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. Isn't that amazing? And to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Why? Because he was talking about Jesus to every guard that came to guard him. Captive audience. He said, this is the greatest preaching platform I've ever had. They just keep sending me soldiers. I keep winning them to Christ and they go back and they win others to Christ. Folks, that's multiplication. Multiplication. You win one person, they go back, and they win a couple more. What an amazing opportunity. The gospel of Jesus Christ wouldn't have gotten into the palace otherwise. You see, it's all a matter of perspective, is it not? We need to have God's perspective in every one of our situations. It says, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, excuse me, with all boldness and without hindrance. What he couldn't do in the streets, he had total freedom to do while he was chained up. No hindrance. For two years, with imprisonment as a platform, he preached and he taught and his prayer request here in chapter 4 was answered. So that he had an open door and nobody during that whole time ever forbid him to preach. All the time of his bondage was a, top of, uh, was a time of proclamation. That's amazing. Everything for Paul was only an opportunity. And we need to be able to see that as well. The only time his voice was silent was at the end when the axe cut off his head and shut his mouth. Someone once said, there are no negative circumstances, only unique opportunities. As so I was studying, I came across an incident that happened in the life of Reverend John MacArthur, and he wrote, one day out of the blue, I received a letter from Charles Tex Watson, who was one of the Manson family who was in prison. Some of you remember the man, uh, Charles Manson, the Manson murders back in the 1960s. And he was one of them. In the letter he wrote, I want you to know that I've gotten some of your preaching tapes, and I'm growing in the Lord and received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I've got a Bible study going in the prison. And then he added, this is a great place to minister. If the Lord wants me out, that's his business. If the Lord wants me here, that's his business too. I am happy wherever as long as I'm able to preach him it sounds like the apostle paul that was paul's attitude anywhere was a pulpit folks that's transformation that's transformation so in prison paul is writing to all the believers in Colossae and ephesus and philippi and also to philemon he said please please be praying for us that god would get us out of here no not once not once That's the kind of thing we pray for, right? Seriously. Please, God, help them get out. God, open the doors of the cell. Paul wrote, pray for us that God would open to us a door. Not the door of the cell, the door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ. He wasn't asking prayer for where his body was, but rather that his mouth would be effective. He reach, uh, writes virtually the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador, not a prisoner. He didn't consider himself a prisoner. I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. How many of us pray that way for ourselves, even when we're not in chains? Even in the beginning, back in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, we we, we read the same kind of prayer when they were being threatened with jail. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Don't let us be afraid. Let us keep preaching. His prayer was, help us to be bold. The mouth of the new sanctified person should speak the word, speak the gospel. One author wrote, You know, I've often said that Christians, unfortunately, are like the Arctic River, frozen over at the mouth. Interesting. Now, when Paul is asking prayer for a door for the Word, it's obvious he's asking for opportunities to share Christ and to preach boldly. How many times have we asked God for an opportunity, an open door to speak, and then look back and realize, ah, I missed it. There goes. Sometimes we do that because we don't recognize that door because we're not actually looking for it. And I think other times we, we perhaps see the open door and then we begin listening to the enemy's words. Ah, you don't know what you're talking about. You won't know how to answer it. You don't know anything. You don't know enough. Don't say anything. It's going to offend somebody. we we'll walk away from the opportunity. It takes courage to pray that prayer. Maybe that's why we don't pray it. Because God is in the business of opening doors. We're afraid of those open doors sometimes. Listen to what it says in Revelation 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds... See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. When the Lord shuts a door, it is shut. But folks, when the Lord opens a door, it's open. And no one can shut it. And when he opens a door for his word, when he opens an opportunity, he expects us to step in to it. Are we looking for those opportunities? I think interesting opportunity that came up to us recently when, was when uh, Town Hall said, hey, can we have volunteers to work in the community? An open door to touch lives of people in the community. We've been praying for that. We need to step into the opportunity. And what was the word that Paul wanted to proclaim to speak the mystery of Christ. Well, what well, that's all we've talked about that some. It's a full gospel that's been revealed in the New Testament that was hidden in the Old Testament. We're talking about the mystery of the indwelling Christ. Christ now lives in us. The mystery of the incarnation that Jesus is fully God and He came as a human in human form. The mystery of the rapture that Jesus is going to return for His church. The mystery of the bride that He's going to unite Himself with. Um, in an eternal way as a bride and object of His love. The mystery of sin and how Christ is going to destroy both Satan and sin once and for all. The mystery of the one church, Jew and Gentile, coming together, being united in Christ. In other words, Paul says, pray for me that I may have an open door uh, for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, the full truth of the gospel of Christ not just bits and pieces. And in verse 4, he adds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. One commentary said Paul had a divine ought in his life. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. We sang about the power of God this morning. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And just before that, in verse 14, he says, I am obligated. That's his divine ought. I am obligated, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, to preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, he writes, I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Not only does Paul want an opportunity to, to preach, but he wants to do it the way it ought to be done. I want to make it manifest the way it ought to be made manifest, I want to make it clear and to be sure that I'm speaking the fullness of all the mystery of Christ. The new creation person, the new sanctified people that we are, are going to have a speech of prayer and a speech of proclamation. And then thirdly, in verse 5, he says that the new-natured person is going to have the speech of behavior. What do I mean by that? You know, this may be one of the most essential speeches of all. Listen, walk in wisdom, Paul says, toward those who are outside redeeming the time. He's referring to the speech of behavior. Sometimes the most important thing you say is not what you say, but it's what you are. Because it's what you are that gives credibility to what you say. You've heard the old adage, your life speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Paul says, walk in wisdom. What's wisdom? Wisdom is properly evaluating circumstances and making godly decisions, it's walking, it's living with a carefully planned, consistent Christian lifestyle. If you're wondering what that's all about, go back to Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6 sometime and, and read there. Paul lays that all out in those chapters. You remember Paul's prayer for the believers in Colossae back in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10? We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Why? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And please him in every way. That's the speech of behavior. Do you know that a Christian can walk like a fool? And then when he tries to talk, nobody believes him. Not listening. Nobody hears. Nobody listens. Nobody cares. It's like they say, do as I say, not as I do. It doesn't fly. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he tells the believers in Corinth, follow my, this this boggles my mind all the time, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Well, that's just audacious. Seriously, he actually said that? Folks, that shouldn't be audacious. That should be our new norm. James tells us in James 3, 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in, in humility that comes from wisdom. That is a sanctified life manifested. Do you know what makes it so hard for wives to submit and respond to their husbands correctly? When The husbands who speak like a Christian around Christians And act very differently at home. Or for a child really trying to respect and obey their parents. They see their parents act all Christian-like at church. And then excuse the phrase, all hell breaks loose at home. Or an employee trying to do his best and perhaps then some to be a good Christ-like employee at work. And then they see their Christian employer trying to cheat on his taxes. Speech of bad behavior is deafening. But the speech of sanctified behavior leads to amazing conversations about Christ. How would people describe your speech of behavior? Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time, Paul said. People are always watching us. Especially if they know we're a believer. Because so many people are looking for an excuse to not believe, to continue rejecting Christ. Folks, we cannot be that excuse for them. Never allow your life to be an excuse that they can use. I don't want to be like them, they're no different. We need to redeem the time. That simply means that we need to take advantage of every opportunity. How many opportunities have we blown? I know I have. I look back, and it's horrible. I've talked about the opportunity, the whole year blown with our Lebanese friends in Ivory Coast, Ibn Ali, a whole year blown. And I regret that. can't get it back. How many open doors have we not walked through? Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I'll tell you what, opportunities are so often here and gone. Here and gone. Life is short. People are dying. Jesus is coming, folks. The Bible talks about one day the door being shut. The Bible talks about one night that's coming when no man can work. The Bible talks about Jesus removing the candlestick, removing the light. That day is coming. Listen to Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 11. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light Putting off the old self. Put on that new self. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, listen, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk in the light as he is in the light, right? The speech of behavior. Don't waste opportunities that leads us to our fourth the speech of perfection speech of perfection verse six let your speech always be with grace remember the verse that we read about jesus's mouth the people were amazed at the gracious words that came out of his mouth let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one consistency of life is followed by consistency of speech if your life is right with the lord your words your conversations are also going to be right with the lord now he's not so much talking here in this verse about preaching the gospel he did that on the proclamation aspect he's here just talking about the general everyday conversations that we have The mouth of a Christian should utter the speech of perfection. And I use the term perfection because Paul used the word always. Always is not sometimes. Always is not most of the time. That's just impossible, Pastor. No, I don't think it is. Otherwise, God would not have put it in Scripture as part of that sanctified life of ours. Don't believe that lie. Usually, when we're not being gracious, it's because that old, ugly head of self is rearing itself up and demanding attention. We need to smack it down. We need to put it to death. We need to put it off. How many times have you seen or done what I call a phone flip in your speech? A phone flip. You're having this horrible, angry argument with your husband or wife or, or, or your parent or child or brother or sister, and then a friend calls you, right? You do the old phone flip. Oh, hi, how are you doing? So good to hear you. Yeah, I'm fine. Everything's great. You just made a choice, and you brought your attitude under control, just like that. And you flipped from anger to grace. Remember the long list of negative stuff that comes out of a person's mouth that we looked at last week? Those kind of things should never be coming out of a believer's mouth. Lust, evil, deceit, cursing, oppression, lying, perversity, destruction, vanity, flattery, foolishness, babble, madness, idle talk, false teaching, plotting, boasting, hatred, swearing, filthy talk, and gossip. That's all characteristic of the unregenerate, the unredeemed, the unsanctified mouth, not the Christian. Let your speech always be full of grace. Make gracious speech a habit with your wife, with your husband, with your parents, with your children, with your employers, with your employees fellow drivers on the road, store clerks, restaurant servers, (laughs) whether you're under stress, whether you're tired, whether you're hungry, or a combination of being hangry, whatever it is, let your speech be gracious. What does that mean? It means we need to make sure our mouths speak what is spiritual, what is wholesome, what is appropriate, what is kind, what is sensitive, what is purposeful, what is complimenting, what is gentle, what is truthful, what is loving, what is thoughtful, what is uplifting, what is encouraging. Let it be gracious, otherwise bite your tongue. But not only is it to be gracious, Paul says, let it always, again, always be seasoned with salt. Not only is it gracious, but it ought to have some kind of good effect. I think the primary word in that phrase is seasoned. You know, when you season food with salt, you don't just open the jar and pour it on, <laughs> you sprinkle it. You use a little bit, you sprinkle it to bring the taste out, to make it all that it can be, right? Our words, our speech ought to be uplifting and encouraging to bring out the best in people, not to hurt or destroy, as we know speech can do one or the other. Paul tells us in 1st Thessalonians 5:11 to encourage one another and build each other up. The writer of Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, another words another way of saying always. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As we know there's there's also a healing aspect to salt which might sting a little bit at first, we are to speak the truth. Some some people like like to be proud of the fact that they'll, they'll speak the truth, boy. But how are we supposed to speak the truth? In love. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. When you use salt for healing, you never pour the salt into the sore. You dilute the salt and soak that sore in, in the salt salty water. It may sting a little bit at first, then it begins the healing pr- process rather than destroying. Our speech should also be a purifier that that prevents corruption. Our speech should act as a purifying, wholesome, cleansing influence, rescuing conversations from filthy talk. Uh, We we talked in our spiritual growth class this morning about this guy that that, uh, used to laugh and tell jokes on the golf course that no one would ever want to hear. But we need to be rescuing those conversations from that filth and, and from gossip. You know, it's interesting the Greeks had another thought on this as well. They said this, uh, the idea of salt was the idea of wit. Not funny ha-ha wit, but wit as the ability to say just the right thing at just the right time. And isn't that what Paul is saying here? That you may know how you ought to answer each one. Having just the right answer for just the right moment for just the right person. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, do it with grace. Our mouth is so important. Just by what we say and how we say it can either open opportunities or can close them. Listen, the ungodly person claims this, which is found in Psalm 12, verse 4. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? In other words, nobody can tell me what to say and not to say. I can say anything I want. Freedom of speech. Jesus says, no. No. As a believer, you don't have freedom of speech What the Christian says, what what our prayer ought to be, is found in Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. That should be a daily prayer of ours. That's the way we can tame the tongue, asking God to help us with that, asking the Holy Spirit to empower us for that. What comes out of your lips? Prayer. Proclamation, speech of perfection. If not, how is it going to change? Uh, Paul's been telling us this all the way through his letter to the Colossians by putting off the old and putting on the new. That's already been done in the spiritual realm. Christ has done that for us. Now God expects us to put that into practice through the power of the Holy Spirit, by allowing the Holy Spirit to control every part of our life. He wants us to surrender to Him. We are to let the peace of Christ rule. We are to let the word of Christ dwell. We are to let the name of Christ rule, all in chapter 3 here in Colossians. Listen, Christ is sufficient. He has done the hard work. We are now to respond to that and avail ourselves of the power of the Holy Spirit to live the holy, sanctified life that He requires of us. But it requires submission. We hate that word, (laughs) humanly speaking. But it requires submission. Confess uh, Jesus is Lord. He is to be Lord. We are submitting to the Lordship, to the King that we, we sang about this morning. Philippians 2 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord. We can do it now. We can do it later. Doing it later may be too late when judgment comes. As we read in Galatians 5 16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Are we walking by the Spirit? Here's a question. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? I'm not doubting it. Just throwing out the question. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, I'm sure everyone would say, absolutely. And again, not doubting it. Paul says, okay, so those who belong to Christ Jesus have, past tense, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What are, are there some desires in your life that you are not willing to give up? Desires that are not pleasing to the Holy Spirit. Will you crucify them? Will you surrender them to Christ Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing, I Surrender. Listen to some of the words. Here I am, down on my knees again. I surrender, surrendering all. Find me here. Lord, as you draw me near, desperate for you, I surrender. Drench my soul as mercy and grace unfold. I hunger and thirst. With arms stretched wide, I know you hear my cry. Speak to me now. I surrender. I surrender. Would you surrender your all this morning? What's the Holy Spirit been speaking to you about Are there things in your life that the Holy Spirit is dealing with, and you're just struggling? No, I'm okay. I I can control this. I'm I'm okay with this. The Holy Spirit says, surrender it. Surrender it. I want to be Lord. Father, this morning, prepare our hearts. As we sing this song of surrender, surrender. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just show us areas in our lives that need to be surrendered, areas that we are still holding on to, that we, we want to still control, and, and because we're enjoying it, it's, it's, uh, I, I don't see any problem with it, but we've got this thing that keeps nagging at our heart, saying, I want you to give that up, I want you to surrender that, I want to be Lord completely, Lord is Lord. I want to be Lord of your life and then watch how I'm going to work in you and through you. Father, help us to surrender this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.